we've looked at abortion, we've looked at homosexuality, we looked at transgenderism. Tonight we're going to look at racism. And each of these issues are pretty huge in our country and in our land, and in fact globally. And uh, there's, a, there's a biblical way to approach all of these issues, and that's what holding the line means. What, holding the biblical line without uh, forfeiting truth. And how do we do that? Honoring Jesus and speaking the truth with love and holding fast. A few things we've learned along the way is that there's a big difference between standing against political movements versus individual lives. And we have to be uh, gentle and meek, as uh, Peter says, when someone asks of the hope you have within, give them a response, an intelligent response, an apologetic, uh, a truthful response, but do it with all gentleness and meekness. Other, other times we have to hold the line, let's say when there are political moves to abandon biblical truths, we have to hold the line hard and fast and loud. Amen? And so there's different positions uh, not, uh, that we take in speaking truth. Now, if you'll notice, each one of these issues is a dismantling of God's order. Each one of them is an attack at dismantling God's order. Racism is an attack against God's order that we were all created in his image. For us to begin thinking that there are some better than others as far as race goes, that's an offense to God. The next is transgenderism. That's an offense to the binary order of creation by which there's male and female, and it's a rebellion against that. Homosexuality and homosexual marriage is going against the order of God's ordained family, and that marriage is sacred and a union between a man and a woman for producing offspring, and then, of course, abortion is the final and ultimate uh, disobedience to God by not valuing life. And so all of these are issues that we have to stand as a pillar of truth in the earth. Paul calls us a pillar of truth. Jesus calls us salt and light. And so we need to hold the line. So what we're going to do, again, uh, I was going to share with you on racism and slavery tonight. And uh, I decided not to do the slavery issue because I just spoke on that just about a month and a half ago. And so if you want to understand a biblical point of view on that issue, go to our website and you'll find it on that. So I just want to focus on racism tonight. How many of you know that's a problem in the church? Anybody? Yeah, it is. And so we're going to look at that and we're going to understand what God's solution for racism is, how it has developed over the years and what we're going to need to do about it. And so I will give you a brief uh, sermonette or a lecture, and then we're going to open up for group discussion. Uh, in this group discussion, we can hear your opinions, hear what you have to say, value your stories and testimonies, and we can learn from that and grow together in it. I hope you've been enjoying this. Anybody enjoying this? Okay, good. All right. Let's define racism. Racism is defined as prejudice or discrimination and antagonism directed against someone of a different race. I guess you would ask the question, how many races are there? Biblically, one. There was only one race. This is a manufactured concept. Red and yellow, black and white goes good in a song, but it's not biblical. 
And so we've divided ourselves and scattered, and uh, God doesn't want to do that. So let's take a look at how racism can manifest. First of all, the very first uh, aspect is with internalized within the individual. Race-based concepts and beliefs and feelings within each personal uh, internalized feeling. Now, some of you, it, a lot of times, what you've been brought up in, the environment you've been brought up in, you've been brought up with certain prejudices. You've been brought up with certain ideologies and opinions of other people and how they live. And one of the problems with racism is we put everybody into one stereotype. Black people are like this. White people are like that. Yellow people are like this. Right? And we put them into an idea. And uh, that is completely false. And so there's the internal personal prejudice. Now, everybody hears prejudice. Okay? Now, you may not be prejudiced against a particular color of a person. You might be prejudiced according to an economic thing. Rich people, poor people. You might, I don't know, you might have issues with women. Women, you might have issues with men. Uh, some of you might have issues with uh, uh, in-laws. <laughs> Got issues with your mother-in-law. I can't help you there, I no, I mean, so prejudice is something, you know, we're all born in sin, aren't we? And we're born up in dysfunctional homes, and so as we're growing up, depending on what school you went to, you got into a particular clique or a group, and you could have been prejudiced against the jocks, because you were a nerd. I don't even know if they use those terms anymore, right? Or the burnouts in the somebody else. You know what I'm talking about. Okay, so we can all have this and, and it, we need to have that flushed out by the Spirit of God because Jesus is not prejudiced against anyone and he died for all and we're to be able to reach across. I'll confess right now, I didn't realize some of my prejudices. Uh, I was invited to a prayer group in Gross Point this one time and, and I, I was going to the to the uh, Gross Point Yacht Club. And I thought, these rich people don't know Jesus. <laughs> and I was surprised, man. I got there, and there was rich people. And man, they loved Jesus, and they were into it, and the Word of God. And my prejudice showed up, and I didn't know I had it. I didn't know rich people could like Jesus. <laughs> I thought they were okay with all their riches. But you see, that's just foolishness. And, and some of us carry it like I said, from where you've been, all right? So that's an interpersonal thing that the Holy Spirit needs to work on within us, amen? All right, interpersonal, oops, that means person to person, the bigotry or biases between individuals, right? And so some of you, I know folks that won't even go down to Detroit. They haven't been to Detroit in I don't know how many years. I'm just going to get real tonight, is that all right? Okay. So I, I worked at GM, and I had a boss there, and, and uh, I, you know, let's go down to Detroit. We're going to go to the auto shows. I said, he said, I'm not going to Detroit. They'll kill you down there. It's like, what are you talking about? And so these are personal issues, right? Can, 
it, it can even go to religion. Can, how would you treat a Jehovah Witness or a Mormon that you work with? Got some issues? We have theological differences for sure. But how are we supposed to treat them? All right, so how do you treat people? Those are biases. Then there's institutional racism. Institutional racism is discriminatory policies and practices within organizations and institutions. How many of you know that in the United States there has been for historical, for many years, institutional racism? Ask folks who've been trying to buy houses in certain locations. Now, a lot of this stuff's been clearing up in the last few number of years, but it went on for hundreds of years. All right? And then, last of all, systematic, ongoing racial inequalities maintained by a society. And it's being called out right now. And it needs to be called out right now. And we need to find our place in our position in that as Christians and identify it and understand it, all right? I'm going to say black lives matters, and some of you are going to say all lives matters, right? But for a, a people group that have been under such oppression, the concept is my life matters. So black lives matters. And what they're looking for is a yes, they do. And then instead of the caveat, well, all lives matter. Of course all lives matter. But when you're talking to someone who has been so abused, you need to confirm that point. All right? And I'm taking the politics out of it. It's quiet in here. It's quiet. It's quiet. All right? Put your politics out there, and let's talk about Jesus, okay? And understand where people are coming from. All right, so that's how racism can impact a culture and a group. But science doesn't agree with the concept of races. What's science say? People of all races are 99% genetically identical. There is only one race, the human race. Any particular difference, 1% difference, is due to an adaptation to climate and environment. Those are only issues of adapting to where you're living on the globe. It has nothing to do with the uh, issue of differences to people. We are the same, the same race, all created in God's image. All right? Encyclopedia Britannica. Genetic studies in the late 20th century refuted the existence of biogenetically distinct races. Scholars now, uh, now argue that races are cultural interventions reflecting specific attitudes and beliefs. The ancient world never saw race. They didn't see race. They saw people from tribes and nations and uh, regions. That's how they differentiated. It was never an issue. It started to become an issue when it was used uh, for the purposes of government and, unfortunately, church to create divisions politically. In the 1500s, it began. But it really sped up with this guy, Charles Darwin. This was social engineering. How many of you know the original t 
title of Charles Darwin's book, The Origins of Species. Now, we know what this book is teaching, right? Evolution. But look at the original title, the full title of this book, On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. Who do you think he thought were favored races? White people. All right? And he developed the theory of evolution. Well, he didn't. It was, it was already there. Uh, becoming, uh, he just popularized it. In fact, he stole most of his information from his uncle. But uh, he made it popular through this idea, and science took it, where science now says there is absolutely no distinction between races. And he developed it, and the concept, listen to what he says, at some future period, not very distant as measured by centuries, the civilized races of man will almost certainly exterminate and replace throughout the world the savage races. What was he propagating? Yeah. He was... Uh, propagating, and this is where the concept of eugenics comes from. Does anybody know the term eugenics? Eugenics means to wipe out a particular race or people. And that's where this began. And the eugenics movement ran strong and hard in the United States. And so did this concept of different levels of species. Because if you consider somebody else lower on the chain of evolution, you don't have a problem treating them that way. And so this fit well with American slavery, didn't it? America had progressed in the concept of this and eugenics. How many of you know who Margaret Sanger is? Founder of Planned Parenthood. Huge believer in eugenics. Her whole point towards abortion and birth control Guess what that was for? Well, it was for people who were impoverished, but her overall philosophy was to eliminate particular races. As she would say, savage races, which again is foolishness. In fact, this is what the, the hierarchy that they would say that the whites were the supreme race. Does that sound familiar? Someone picked up on that and ran with it. Someone was so impressed by the philosophy of eugenics in the United States that it impacted him all the way over in Germany. Yeah. Hitler followed this to the T. And he felt that if he could have a perfect Aryan race, then he would bring humanity into the next level of evolution. It doesn't work that way. If you eliminate the different uh, dynamics of, uh, uh, of the people groups and just interbreed, you're going to corrupt the breeding of the human race. But they would see it as white, yellow, red, and black at the bottom. Darwin's theory provided justification not only for racism, but influencing Hitler and Nazism, United States slavery, eugenics, and white nationalism. And so this concept that whites are superior to blacks and to red and yellow has been around for a while. 
Unfortunately, who got on the bandwagon? The church. They would take scriptures and use them to support these ideas. And that's a sin and that's wrong. And we need to stay to the Word of God. Now, listen to this. The father of European racism who was into eugenics and uh, white superiority. We must, of course, acknowledge that Adam is the ancestor of the white race. The scriptures are evidently meant to be so understood. For the generations deriving from him were certainly white. This being admitted, there's nothing to show that in the view of the first compilers of the Adamite genealogies, those outside the white race were counted as part, they weren't counted as part of the species at all. Not a word is said about the yellow races, and it's only an arbitrary interpretation of the text that makes us regard the patriarch Ham as black. Pure racism put into the biblical context. Was Adam white? What color was Adam? We don't know. Why would they call Ham black? Because Ham was cursed. And so this supported American slavery. Biblically, I don't have a problem having slaves because I'm just following biblical reason that Ham and the black race is descendants of Noah's sons, Ham's, Shem, and Japheth. I almost went for Larry Moe and Curly, but that ain't <laughs> And the races came from them, and Ham was the cursed one. Actually, Cain was the cursed one. And that's the region where they say they spread, and so those are black folks, and so black folks are cursed, so it's okay for me to have slaves because I'm just following the biblical order of being cursed. And of course, Adam was white, and all, his, all the biblical characters are white, so we're God's chosen. Absurd! but infiltrated thick in our culture. How many of you know that? You know that. How many of you look at Bible? All our lives, white people, all our lives, we've been looking at pictures of Bible heroes, and they're all white. Jesus came from California, man, blue eyes, flowing hair. It's crazy. No one in the Bible was white. Think about it. Where was the Bible set? In the Middle East. In the Middle East. Adam, Abraham, Moses, Deborah, David, Elijah, Jezebel, Daniel, all brown, all colors. Uh, Lydia, church in Rome, they're not white. Most people in the Bible were Jews and of Middle Eastern uh, descent. Okay? So let's not play the color game with the scriptures with the Bible. Amen? Are you going to be surprised when we get to heaven we see Jesus? Everybody, Chinese want them Chinese. Blacks want them black. Whites want them white. He's going to be who he is. And we'll all fall on our face and ask for forgiveness. Amen? So let's go to the Bible. There are no races mentioned in the Bible. The word race is nowhere in scriptures because it's a concept that wasn't even there 
Again, according to Scripture, there's one race that God created man and woman in his image. No talk about anything else besides that, except for region and areas where people lived. People are identified by regions, not skin color or physical distinctions. Skin color in antiquity was more like hair color to us today. It had little meaning. Oh, you're blonde. Oh, you're redhead. Oh, you're... Oh, they changed that on me, though. I'm no longer a red... Of course I'm no longer a redhead. I'm kind of gray now. But now it's... uh, What is it? Ginger. Now I'm a ginger. All right. They identified by tribes and by nations. Now, if there's going to be any racism in Scripture, you could say that the Jews, being God's chosen, and all the other nations, that the Jews would feel themselves superior to the other nations. But that wasn't based on race. That would have been based on theology, who you believe in. Israel trusted Yahweh, the other nations had idols. But anyone from another nation could come into Israel if they had faith in Yahweh and be completely accepted. So it had nothing to do with uh, racial issues. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. No mention of races or racial distinction. He made all nations, the King James says, of one blood. He made from one man every nation, uh, I'm sorry, every nation of mankind. And so the only difference between people in the Bible is going to be their dwelling place. Where do they abide? But something shifted that even further when Jesus died. Because who did Jesus die for? Are you sure? It wasn't he the Jewish Messiah? He died for the Jews. He died for who? all mankind. He's restoring all people back to God. One race, one people. Amen? There is now neither, what? Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And that's how believers are to identify with one another. And we need to preach that, and we need to live that out. Amen? And what typically happens is the reason racism escalates is because of fear, because we don't understand another culture group, another people group. And so we fear, and we put boundaries up. Romans 3.23, Romans 10.12, Acts 15.9, Romans 2.11, Ephesians 6.9, Joel 2.28.32, Acts 2.17 and 21, God says that there is no distinction between people. Do you know how the Bible identifies people? There it is. That's it. That's it. 
either lost or you're saved. So there are five biblical facts concerning race. Number one, we were all created by God. I shared that with you already in Acts 17.26. We were all descended from the same parents, Adam and Eve. Three, every person is equally valuable to God. Therefore, each person should be, what? Equally valuable to the believer. Each person is equally welcome to the salvation of Christ. Do you agree with that? Then shouldn't everyone be equally welcome in the house of God? Amen. We are to love all people unconditionally as Jesus loves all people. Can I get an amen on that? This is biblical Christianity, and this is the answer to racism. I believe personally that we had a moment uh, in the last three or four years where this was finally coming to light, where, where, where it was getting to the place where we were going to admit to the problems that the United States has had, that the level of racism was beyond what we considered it really was and what white people tolerated in the work to get it back. And it was a, an honest moment, and then it got hijacked. It got hijacked politically. And it was the best place for the church to have st- stepped in and said, this is how we love, this is how we fix it. But it became a political movement and it became monetized and it went amok. James says this in chapter 2, verse 9. If you show partiality, you're committing sin. Now that'll go either way, favorably or negatively. If you're partial to people favorably or if you're partial to people negatively, what's going on? You are committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. Jesus' brother said that. Straight Straight out there. Now listen, the church needs to repent. Has the church repented? I've been to so many racial restoration prayer meetings uh, for years. It's time for us to act like it and not just go to another ceremony. Amen? But if we, uh, are we, if we are partial to somebody because of a racial issue, that is sin. But pastor, you don't know what happened to me. These people wounded me and hurt me. But those people don't represent all people. I'm not trying to take away the pain of your suffering, but they do not represent all people. And we can't put all people in the lump, in the context of what happened to you. And so we've got to move in forgiveness and restoration. I want to show you a very interesting scripture that's going to wrap up all of human history. It's from the book of Revelation. After this, John says, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. What's he trying to say? Lots of people. You can't count how many people. All right? That's a lot. From every nation, every tribe, every people, 
every language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes. They were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. Hallelujah. So here is this massive sea of people all wearing white. How did John know that they were from different nations, tribes, and people groups? How did he know? They're all wearing white. How do you know? Color of their skin? Color of their skin? These are resurrected people. Do you mean when we're resurrected, we'll be the color that we were here? Could that be? Yeah. So are you trying to tell me there'll be black folks around the throne? Chinese? Asians? Right? Natives? Americans? White people? Right? Middle Eastern? Because there's one people, one race, but we're going to represent all the different languages of the world. We're going to represent all the different nations around the world. And we will be one as a people, united in love, glorifying Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? I mean, how many of you have thought about that? You think when you got resurrected, we all became blue? Right? Are there going to be men and women up there? (laughs) All right? This is wild to think about. So if that's the presentation of the church, shouldn't that be where we are now? Shouldn't that represent our worship now? Every tribe, every tongue, every nation every language, all people. Amen? That's what God wants in His church. And we've got to deal with the racism. And the church has to take the lead on this. And we've got to preach Christ. And we've got to break any sin in our lives and in our churches. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, that the most segregated hour of the week is 11 o'clock on Sundays when the black church and the white church, the Hispanic church, everybody goes to their own churches. Have you ever thought about that? Many of that is based on culture. The way we maybe sing a song different, maybe do this different, act this different, and so forth. But it's time for the church to come together. Amen? Amen. Now, let me bring up a question. This has been said a lot lately. A lot of uninformed young people, I'm sorry to say, Uh, look at this and say Christianity is the white man's religion. Why would you believe in Christianity to to the black culture? Why would you believe Christianity is a white man's religion? As a matter of fact, it's not. Christianity started in the Middle East and its main epicenter was in Africa, northern Africa. That's where the church began. In fact, Mark, the writer of the gospel, brought the gospel to Alexandria, Egypt, in 60 A.D. How many of you remember Philip uh, came from the Samaritan revival, and who did he bring into the kingdom? 
an Ethiopian who took it back to Africa. Africa was the epicenter of the church. And so if you really want to see the early church, it was pretty black, dark skin, and, and brown. It wasn't until the Middle Ages when the gospel got up into the regions of Britain and uh, England and Europe where it was preserved by the monks uh, because the Muslims and Turks had come in and took over northern Africa and wiped out Christianity. And then from there, in Great Britain, they sent out the missionaries and went out around the world. That's a simple explanation. Africa is one of the most dynamic centers of Christianity in the world. The most influential church fathers were Africans. Uh, Clement and Origen were from Alexandria. Tertullian, African. Cyprian, African. And St. Augustine, African. I, I don't know how many of you are familiar with church fathers. I don't know if you've looked any of their pictures up. But in their pictures, guess what color they are? They're all white. <laughs> but if you go back far enough to see the Byzantine pictures and, and the pictures of uh, well before the 1200s, you'll see that they're of color. Okay? The church is guilty of this. We went the way that the enemy sowed into Darwin and sowed into the evolutionary concept. And it got into the church and became political and useful when the church was off the rails of the gospel. It's time for us to get it right. Would you agree with this? Would you pray that the nation would get it right? Our founding fathers said that we were all supposed to be created equal. And for 200 years, we lied. This has got to get corrected. It's not too late. This happens to be Wednesday, uh, the uh, 21st, and just Monday the 19th, we celebrated Juneteenth. And so I, I just have a quick video here that I want to play for you so that you can understand what we celebrated on Monday. Historically, racism is the greatest sin in America. I read to you James, and if you have preference for one race over another or one person over another, it is sin. And that's been a sin in this nation from its founding. But we celebrated this on Monday. Open a U.S. history book, and chances are its author will quickly point out January 1st, 1863, the date President Abraham Lincoln with one proclamation orders and declares that all persons held as slaves shall be free. What that same history book might fail to mention is what happened to these words once they arrived on the shores of Galveston, Texas, more than two years after Lincoln wrote them. In the 1860s, word didn't travel like it did now. And in 1865, months after General Robert E. Lee's surrender, word of the end of the Civil War had yet to hit the Southern state and its quarter of a million slaves. And then came General Gordon Granger's arrival in Galveston, June 19, 1865, and General Order Number 3, all slaves are free. Juneteenth was born. While Juneteenth celebrations continued to varying degrees in the U.S. for decades, it would take until 1980 for Texas to become the first state to declare it a holiday. 
Today, 47 states recognize it and the District of Columbia, a chapter of our history for far too long left out of the books designed to document it, but no longer. Juneteenth, or as the National Museum of African American History and Culture now calls it, our country's second Independence Day. Amen. That's some slow progress, but we're getting there. Let us pray. Father God, show us as a church how to walk as Jesus walks. Lord, how to care one for another. And Lord God, how to deal with the hurt, the pain, the suffering, the attitudes, and how to bring the love of Christ into this dynamic within our culture. Let us as a church be the lead and go before and bring the culture into the love of Christ Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.